Well, spring break is upon us for SFA, most of the local schools and teachers. It's a day, of course, many eagerly awaited, counting down. It's finally here, spring break, waiting. Our lives in reality as humans, even if we're not students looking forward to spring break, our lives are marked by waiting. It's what we do, we are awaiting people. It's creation. We are not sovereign. We can't bring things into existence in this way or work all these things in a particular plan that may fulfill a desire of our heart. So we are marked as creation, as those who wait. You think of the little child and think how they eagerly await finally getting into school. And with eagerness and joy, they become little elementary kids and and go through that process. And what do they want? Pastor John, our kids' pastor, describes this long wait a lot of times for fifth graders that are going to become sixth graders, big, cool middle schoolers. And it's a long break they have in that transition process. Then kids become middle schoolers, and they look forward to what? They want to become high schoolers. And a high schooler, a freshman, has their eyes set on doing what? They're waiting to drive, finally get those keys and start driving. And then the high schooler wants to graduate. They can't wait to graduate, either begin uh, their career in the workforce or go to school or the military or whatever's next for them. College students then cannot wait to graduate and stay in Nacogdoches as vital members of Grace Bible Church the rest of their lives. And then after that, whatever the next season that God would have for them, for many uh, will long for marriage. Those who are married, oftentimes, if enough time, will begin to long for children. They'll wait for children. When they have children, they'll get older, they'll wait for them to leave the nest. And those parents that are now grandparents or desire to be grandparents, they wait for that season. And then as we get older and our, our health begins to increasingly fail, uh, those begin to wait eagerly for heaven. What we see in our text this morning, beloved, is that we are all marked by waiting. Our lives reflect what we are most waiting for. And as believers, there is to be one waiting that is to supersede all the rest of our waitings. And that is, as he tells us in this text this morning, in verse 13, we are waiting eagerly, according to the promise of God, for the new heavens and new earth that will come in righteousness. That is the waiting that's to supersede every other waiting. Because we know, and and those that have lived for some time, they know and they can tell every one of us that there are seasons in life that will not come. Scripture tells us that hope deferred makes the heart sick. We're not guaranteed any season that we wait for. We read the Hebrew Scriptures and we see of of Leah and Rachel. We, We see of Sarah. We see seasons of longing for stages of life that are not yet. But Scripture anchors us in the promises of God that the Beloved of God will be with Him in the new heavens and new earth in which all things will be restored and made new. It's that waiting that is to supersede, it's to be above and beyond all waitings that are to come. And we will be with Christ forever. This eternal, glorious meeting of heaven and earth will be with Him for eternity. We'll see our Savior face to face. It's that waiting that supersedes all waitings. Now, as we understand this component, we're going to look at this in two separate components. This truth that our lives are marked by waiting and this greatest waiting for the new heavens and new earth, this righteousness with God is to supersede all of them. But what I'll point out here before we start to unpack these two key components is that in verse 5 of chapter 3, as we looked at last week, the unbelievers, the false teachers, were marked by deliberately overlooking the truths of God. 
deliberately overlooking. Remember, they were committed already in their position. They were pursuing sin. We described it last week that the, the same reason that those that are dead in sin, that don't yet know Christ, as were we before we came to know Christ, that, that we could not find God for the same reason that a bank robber cannot find a police officer. And these false teachers, they deliberately overlooked things in the Scriptures. But now we see a contrast of that overlooking or looking, seeing and being seen. And believers here, he tells them, you do not overlook these things. So it's descriptive in verse 5 of, of the unbelievers and those false teachers. They deliberately overlook the things of God. But the beloved of God, they're commanded. We're commanded here in this text to see the things of God. We're commanded to see these things. He tells us in verse 8, do not overlook this one fact, beloved. So as we look at verse 8 through 10, do you see, we phrase it this way then, do you see, church, that the final judgment having not yet occurred, the coming of Christ having not yet occurred, it demonstrates patience and kindness rather than apathy or forgetfulness. The fact that God has not come yet, it reflects His patience and kindness. And what do the false teachers do with this truth that the fact that Christ has not come yet? They look at it in the hardening of their hearts we see that they use it to accuse God of either A, being apathetic to their sin. Remember, they're, they're leading, we're told in this letter, that the false teachers that have the, a, a good enough theology to gain some sense of trust in the congregations, but they're deceitful enough that they long to lead many in the congregation after their own sensuality. And part of how they're doing so seems to be that they're saying, look, God's not done anything about this yet. The patriarch's the same God who was there. He's, he's not come back. He's not done this yet. He's not held us accountable. Therefore, either it must be okay or he doesn't seem to really care about it. And so they look at the patience and kindness of God that is salvation to those who will come to believe upon Christ. And the false teachers accuse God of apathy or a lack of righteousness and holiness to say he really doesn't care. The hardening that takes place of one who does not know God, who one who hardens himself further against the promises of God, is a dangerous reality. But more interestingly, how does Peter in this text take the, the church, the, the believers in Christ, and fix their eyes upon heaven? See, as Christians, our lives are marked by heaven. We have a heavenly view of life. The God who created us and sustains us and has spoken to us and, and, and shown Himself and, and, and the eternal Son who's taken on flesh and dwelt among us, Jesus Christ, and the Word that's been breathed forth by the Scriptures. How do we set our eyes upon heaven? We go to the Scriptures. The unbeliever who tries to walk by this earth is bound by the things of the earth. But Peter ministers to the bride of Christ by fixing her eyes upon the character and the holiness of God by going back to Psalm chapter 90. So look back in your Bibles, if you would, to Psalm chapter 90. If you don't have a Bible, you can use the Pewback Bible in front of you. It's page 496. And as we flip there together to Psalm chapter 90, this inspired, inerrant Word of God for us. Peter, in quoting verse 4, speaking of one day is, a, is as a thousand years, a thousand years is as one day, I believe very intentionally because there's so many parallels between Psalm 90 and 2 Peter. 
there's just, it's not just that one little verse. There's so many themes in 2 Peter that, that fit with Psalm 90. And I think that's what, what, what intentionally Peter is doing here to the church. He's quoting this and bringing their mind back to a reminder of all these previous dilemmas and yet reflections of the character and the faithfulness and the judgment and righteousness and justice of God. So what I want to do together, we're going to read these verses. I'll stop after a little bit. We'll make some observations. But there's at least three major similarities here that we want to make sure and, and pull out if I'm going to do justice for us in this Psalm 90 verse 4 reference. So a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. The psalmist Moses places the believer's eyes upon the reality of the eternality of God. God is not bound in time as we are. He doesn't grow in knowledge. He's not evolving or progressing in some sense. God is perfect and the fullness of all His attributes. And here He reminds the people of God and who will also be the people in the first century that will read this, who will also be us today who's reading this text, that before the mountains were brought forth, you think of the Jews that would be reading this and thinking of Jerusalem being a higher elevated place, before the mountain of which even Jerusalem is built, God was, God is. He's eternal and He's faithful. He's a faithful God of all generations. So just as the first century church could build her life upon and take refuge in the Lord, just like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did, so too can we. All the problems and burdens that the first century church had and anxieties of, as they looked at the congregation and saw the hurts. And in 1 Peter, the sufferings and trials that the church was experiencing, they don't need a new refuge. We don't need an upgrade. The perfect, faithful God, He's sufficient for us. The God who sustained us and creates us. The God who cares for us. He's the sufficient refuge for a thousand years in your sight or, or, or as but yesterday when it is past. So Peter quotes verse 4, but look at verse 5 as we go in and continue on in Psalm 90. Look at these similarities to these books we've been reading together and preaching through. He says in verse 5, you sweep them away, God, as with the flood. They're like a dream, like, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and it is renewed, and in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. What an image. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Just like we've seen in 2 Peter. The righteous holy God is not evolving. He's not forgetful. And just as we see in the book of Numbers, in the true fulfillment of this, all one sin will find them out. 
It will be, as he says here, drawn into the light. He says in verse 8, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. The believer hears this verse and says, thank you, God. God knows that thing about me. God knows that thing I did or was done to me or whatever the context was. God knows. And the beloved says, thank you, God, that that is placed upon Christ on the cross. You have made me now forgiven and beautiful and holy and positionally righteous in Christ. The God who's faithful to keep His promise. But to those who don't know Christ, and in application to the first century churches, these wolves that have come into the congregation are leading many astray to follow after, he says, he's told us their own sensuality. Fear not. For the righteous God knows, and they will give an account. Even the secret things are drawn out or brought before Him. And their life, even if they live many, many more years and seem to get away with it on this earth, their life is like a sigh before an eternal and holy God. When you hear that, are you brought to comfort? Or are you brought to fear? The beloved of God are brought to joy and hope. The congregation of the first century world that's receiving this letter from Peter is brought to encouragement and comfort. Because the kindness and the righteousness and the holy judgment and the just wrath of God. So look what he says then. Understanding these two components, look at verse 12 as we finish off Psalm 90 and jump back into 2 Peter. Look what he says. Here's the application. So you understand these things. We live in light of these things. The righteousness of God and the kindness of God and the justice of God. So what's it look for our lives? Verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord. How long have pity on Your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with Your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as You have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to the children, to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the works of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. The people of God here, Moses, interceding for them and crying out to God, articulates the same yearning we see in First and Second Peter. That those who have the highest priority of God bringing justice and righteousness and making all things right, the yearning for that, this how long, O oh God, that the first century believers are experiencing, Peter reminds them is nothing new to the people of God. Israel cried out the same component. Moses cries out the same component. How long ago? Now, part of Moses' crying out is, how long ago would these people be a stiff-necked people? <laughs> how long? A longing for God to come. Now listen, let me ask you this. When he says in verse 13, return, O Lord, how long? Have, have pity on your servants. How long is that suffering going to take place and hardship? Aren't you glad God didn't answer Moses' prayer? That God would come, Boom and make all things right 3,000 plus years ago? I am. I came to Christ, I've come to Christ in 1991. I'm glad He didn't come in 1990. 
God's patience toward us is salvation to those who come to believe upon Him. And yet the yearning that the people of God have that says, how long will wickedness be allowed to take place and continue on? That's a natural yearning for the people of God. Hope deferred that makes the heart sick. This waiting is normal for the people of God. So He ministers to the people 2,000 years ago, the body of Christ. He ministers to them and says, no, this is, look, this is what Moses and, and Israel was experiencing then. And now here we are, 2,000 years after 2 Peter was written, and we're saying, hey, I can relate to this. God is faithful. I have the privilege of serving on a, on a brother who's a Nigerian pastor in the second largest city in Nigeria. I'm on his dissertation committee, and, and I'm reading through his work, and he has to describe his ministry setting. And he says, one of the two of the things that have really impacted how they do ministry right now is, is COVID has just destroyed a lot of their economy. And so a lot of the members that have to travel for some distance, they can't afford gas to come in at, 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 at as many times as they used to. So they have Sunday morning worship, and they used to have Sunday night church as well, but one of the things in their context that has increased with COVID is not only an additional amount of crime, but also terrorist attacks have exploded, have just gone through the roof at night. And so a lot of his church members, Christians there, are hesitant now to come to church at night when it's dark because the, the threat of bombings or terrorist attacks against them for Christ. And I'm reading this, trying to give this guy feedback, and I'm thinking, and sometimes I, you know, I may not go to small group on Sunday night because I want to see the Chiefs lose the Super Bowl. You know, like I, like I may have my desires for why I have kind of thoughts of maybe why I neglect some fellowship sometime or much, so I just want to sleep in. And we've got brothers and sisters on the other side of the world that are, I don't know if, I, do, we, do we risk going to church tonight knowing we could get blown up? And, you, and, you, and I hear that, and yet, even though the context is very different, the heart that they have of Lord make all things right is the same desire in, in our hearts because He has given us by His grace, He's opened our eyes and our hearts to long for His judgment. Before we come to Christ, we want judgment for everyone else and grace and mercy for ourselves. But in Christ, we realize that we are recipients in grace. And what do we long for? We long for others to know the grace and forgiveness and kindness of our God. Amen. This, this marks our lives as believers, and yet this yearning for, for more, this yearning for, for God to come and make all things right, it is always a part of us. It's who we are. So look at verse 9. It is the Lord's patience that is as salvation. The false teachers' hearts are so hardened that they see the kindness of God and they accuse God of forgetfulness. Never underestimate, as we looked at last week, how one can twist Scripture. Never underestimate it. And as believers, likewise, we should, we should long to be in community with others that love the Lord and love His Word so they can expose that if we begin in our own hearts trying to excuse sin or, or, or to run after the flesh. But who is the ones he's talking to here in verse 9? Remember, he's still talking to the beloved of God in 2 Peter. He's never changed his audience. The audience has never shifted. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness. It's the promises of God that anchors Him, but is patient toward you. Who's the you? It's the believers and those who will come to faith in Christ, not wishing that any of you should perish, but all should reach repentance. 
When Jesus told us in John chapter 6 that all that the Father has given unto Him, He will lose none of them. Peter says the same thing. All who come to Christ find a perfect Savior. In our song of response, in just a little bit, we're going to sing about where our hope rests. If your hope rests in Christ, beloved, you have a sure Savior. No matter the heartaches that happen in this world, you have a sure and perfect foundation. The Lord will never lose any. And what we see in the Scriptures tell us that a fullness, when the fullness of those who will come to faith in Christ, come to faith in Christ, the fullness of the Gentiles and non-Jews, the fullness of us who come to believe upon Jesus, come to believe upon Jesus, and no time longer, this great outpouring of salvation upon Israel would take place. Many Jews would place their faith and trust in Christ as the Messiah, and the Lord will come as a what? As a thief in the night. The Lord's patience toward us is salvation. And so what should we be? We should be passionate to communicate and share the gospel with others. In our next steps, there's going to be two applications of this. As we looked at last week, will you consider asking somebody to read the Bible with you? And today, one of the next steps components is going to be, will you ask others, will you pray to God for opportunities to pray with someone else? Ask God for boldness and opportunities to pray with someone. And pray the gospel with them. And share with them the hope of what you're learning. Never underestimate what the Lord does in these divine encounters that He gives us every single day. The Lord is not slow. But in Acts chapter 17, Paul goes to the Athenians, these pagan unbelievers. And he says, The time of ignorance God overlooked, but now no longer. He commands all men everywhere to repent. And He's established one who will be the judge over all. And who is that one that He has appointed? And of this He has given assurance to all by raising Him from the dead. It is Jesus. It's the appeal. It's the same context. It's the same statements in Acts chapter 17 that leads Peter to present the Gospel, to preach the hope in Jesus Christ, the one that lived a sinless life, fulfilled the full demands of the law, laid His life down on the cross, death for sinners, death for sins, raising again from death into His glorified, resurrected body. He ministered. He ascended. He reigns and rules and makes intercession for us who believe. And He will come again in judgment. Peter, or or Paul here in Acts 17, gives the same idea, the same point, that it is Jesus who is judge. Yes, He was crucified. Yes, He has risen. Yes, He's ascended. But He will descend and judge. And He gives this statement in Acts chapter 17. And you know what it says of the Athenians? Many mocked. But some believed. He gives us two names. Dionysius the Areopagite. That's a great name if you're looking for a name for a kid. And a woman named Damaris. It is a joy to gather together as those who have new life. That by God's grace, He would strip away our mocking of the gospel. And we gathered together, proclaiming His glory. You know, on any given week in Nacogdoches County, there's not more than 10% that gathers to worship. God has not made a mistake to place you where you are, to sustain your days. Perhaps as we were reading that text, I wonder, 
I'm not going to ask you if you're over 80 years, but I wondered, if, Lord, if you let me live beyond 80, I wonder how I'll view that text. 70 and by some 80 years? I mean, I don't mean this to be morbid, but if you're 85, are you looking at that saying, I am on borrowed time? The reality is every one of us is on borrowed time, beloved. From the day we were first born to the day our final breath, but not a single breath is less in the hand and care of our good God. And as we wait, we pray, God, would you help us to wait with anticipation when you will bring full righteousness by your standard upon all things? When we will dwell the new heavens and new earth, when you will make all things right, you're worth our lives. This leads us secondly as we ask this question, do you see, we've already asked, do you see this component of God's patience as salvation for us? God's patience is, is the news of eternal life and the reflection of His kindness to those who will believe. Now in 11-13, through 13, we note that do you see this? It raises a question. Do you see that our transforming lives demonstrate for us the truth of God's promise in a deceptive, unbelieving world? Said another way, it's not an accident that you're still here. It's not an accident that when we come to faith in Christ, and so I alluded to him in the first service, but Bryce, who, who was baptized last week, has come to faith in Christ. This young man, college student, senior, getting ready to graduate. There's not an accident that when he came to faith in Christ, he didn't just, zoop, go to be with the Lord in heaven. But his life will be one as the Spirit works upon his life and in his life of transformation for his watching family and friends and neighbors and one day co-workers and all those things to observe the working of God in his life. And so too it is with every one of us. We are reflections of the trustworthiness and promises of God as a watching world observes our life. Look what he says in verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, the judgment of God being a, a judgment of totality, the day of the Lord, as he referred to it earlier, has two components to it. Now the scope here in the Old Testament, the, the, the judgment of God is often regional or upon a nation. The judgment of God, as we look in Revelation and in here, is a totality of judgment. When all of creation will be exposed... All the earth will be burnt up. There's a refining component of judgment. So there's some debate there. Is this, a, is this the earth? Everything's going to be just boom, done away with? Or is it like a purifying, refiner, fire type judgment? I think it's that one. The picture is that the, the heavens and the, and, the, and the presence of God, as we kind of see in the, in the, we do see in the, in the garden, the beginning before the fall, that God and man will, will, will be together. Redeemed man and God will be forever in all this creation that He's made and it will be good. And, and no longer even as believers will our praise stop at creation, but our praise will always perfectly reflect and honor the God who created us and sustains us. That He will rule from the earth, the new heavens and new earth that will come and take place in this way. And it marks our lives. It marks our hope. But that total judgment is itself a fearful thing for the unbeliever, Joel 2, Joel 2 tells us. And Amos 1. It's a fearful thing because it's a totality of judgment. It is the day of the Lord that has been fixed and it is coming closer. That's not a scare tactic. It's a reality. It's a reality that makes the believer's heart flutter, but also long to live urgently. How? Look what he tells us. Here's how we're to live. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be? We ought to be people in lives of holiness and godliness waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt away as they burn. 
But according to His promise, we're waiting. What kind of people are we to be? Not a people terrified of man who can only harm the body, Jesus tells us, which I always laugh at that. I'm, oh, that's it. But to be a people that are not huddled and fearful only in our prayer closets, waiting for God to take us through the coat hangers. Not some image like that, not some caricature. The people of God are to be joyfully living holy lives. A people marked by the peace of God, aiming, if possible, to live peaceably with others. The people marked by the love of God. A unique people that have our identity in what Christ has done for us and we've received in Him. A confidence, not because of what, who we are, but because of what He has done. And the good news, a people who know actual forgiveness. Not a ceasefire with God, but forgiveness and peace with God. Amen. A clarity of goals and mission in life because He's commanded and commissioned each of us to be and make disciples with the totality of the resources that He gives us, our time, our talents and treasures for His glory. Following after Him and trusting then that this sovereign God who never wastes a hurt, as we've seen in chapter 1, He never wastes a trial, He never wastes a suffering. He calls them, if for a little while you are, to do, you are to endure necessary sufferings. And now with the church who's experiencing necessary heartache, He is at work. And the lives we are to live then are lives of holiness and godliness. Said in a word, fruitfulness. Fruitfulness. Fruitfulness as we make every effort to abide in Christ. To rest in Jesus. And to give our lives to make disciples. To give our lives to share Jesus with others. Beginning in our homes and going outward from there. How good is our God? There's not an accident that He's tarried this week. He's faithful and patient. And the greater urgency that comes into our life is one in which He is coming soon. And we get to live a life in which we have fellowship with each other. Sinners who have been made saints. Servants of the Most High God. That we're friends of God. Heirs of God in Christ. A guarantee of an inheritance that is ours. The Holy Spirit, He indwells us as believers. He compels us to minister the Word to each other, to people that we're not biologically related to, people of different generations, different backgrounds, bearing each other's burdens, grieving with each other as we grieve, rejoicing as we rejoice, living on mission, telling others about Jesus together. And allowing the Word to minister to us and to minister the Word to others. God has given us the fragrance of life and He's deployed His people all through the earth to be demonstrations of the faithfulness and the trustworthiness of His promise as He allows each of us to have our health stripped away. And endure necessary trials. I don't know if you know this, but we had an ice storm recently. I don't know. It's probably news to some of you. Here you go. I got, I got your back. I'll keep you in the loop. So like you, uh, our yard looks super bad. 
And we got all these beautiful plants. We didn't plant them. The people that lived there before us were awesome. We, need to, we said we should have put something in the contract when we bought the house that they would have to come back if we had a generational freeze or something. But, but our yard, all the beautiful things are not beautiful. And on Thursday, we had that really, really pretty day. You remember that day? It was gorgeous. Thursday, I opened the back patio that morning, let the dog out, went out and, and, and stepped out there. And just a spring breeze just hit me. Breathe it in. Here I am still in the presence of all these dead plants, these things that were created and designed by God to look beautiful. And yet there they are dead. And yet that breeze of life hits my nose and my skin. And it was a a fragrance of life. That's what believers are to be, sprinkled out children of the promise of God by faith in the Son. The promise-keeping God. Wherever we live, whatever your career, whatever your location, whatever your season of life, none of us are promised another season that our heart may wait for. But we are all promised as we wait according to the promise that we will be with the Lord forever, the new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, would you prune our lives this week to be breaths of life where we go, of hope, a hope that is in us, not because of us, but in us, because of what the Son has done on our account. The goodness and kindness of the Father to send the Son. And it is this hope that to the believer is the fragrance and the smell of life. And in Corinthians, we're told to the unbeliever, it is the stench of death. And I want to ask you that very clearly before we go on to our next steps. If you've heard this news about the sure judgment of God, the totality of judgment upon all sinners and all of creation, you've heard about, though, this good news, God, man, Christ, And to live in response until we see Him face to face. If you hear that news and to you that is sour or off-putting, would you this day repent of sin and give your life to Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life? Entrust your sin to Him and entrust your very life to Him this day. That once once smelled off-putting would indeed become the fragrance of life. Would you know the hope that we have? As we gather and we sing these songs, as we now enter into this next step portion, asking God to give us wisdom and courage to walk out now lives of response to the preaching and teaching of His Word. So as we look at our next steps, I want to ask you this first one. Would you take a moment to consider God's patience toward you? And really, I'm going to give you time to do that. So what I want you to do is I want you, just for like 30 seconds, I'll set my watch. Would you close your eyes for 30 seconds as I narrate for you? Would you ask God to just show you this last month how He's been patient with you? And you can open your eyes. We think about the patience that God has shown us. And yet while we were yet sinners, Christ would die for us. 
and yet how He sustains us and still deploys us for missions. Now, He does not need us, yet He, in His kindness, uses us and deploys us as servants all across His earth. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and yet He redeems us and uses us. And so my question is, how can you reflect that patience to others this week? We talk a lot about how we've been forgiven much, so we're forgiving people. We've talked a lot about how we receive grace. Stephen always says as we leave, go in grace. We talk a lot about how we receive the peace of God, so we should be peaceable with others. But what does it look like in your home? If you've got little kids, what does it look like to aim to show them patience, divine godly patience? What's it look like in your work context or wherever you're at, the neighbor, whatever it is? God, would you help me to show patience, reflecting that I've received the patience that you've shown me? Number two, pray for boldness to share how God has been working in your world. Now, we have so many people in our congregation right now that are enduring health crises or those that have experienced close the taste of death. I think of the, the Lorios, the Harrisons, the, the, the Farrells, the Bob Nelson, and so many others I could list who are enduring hardship. And yet it's the grace of God working in their lives. That the unbelievers look at the world and say, where is God? And yet believers look at how God is working in their lives. The sinners made saints and His sustaining glory to give them another day. And they can't help but say, look what God is still doing, either through His people that are showing us love and care, or through just sustaining me with another day of life. Would you share with others this week, beloved, how the Lord is working in your life? Third, is there an area of your life that, that you've been overlooking? Knowing that the Spirit wants to work there, but perhaps you've been able to compartmentalize your faith a little bit. I think we all struggle with this. But is there a relationship or an area where you've been struggling to compartmentalize out the Spirit? Spirit, I got this area. I got this under control. You handle everything else. And so would you ask the Spirit of God to, to show you, reveal that to you, if there's somewhere where you've been kind of boxing out the Holy Spirit in your life? And then, would you confess that to somebody, a group member, somebody you're close to here at Grace? And if you're not close to someone, lean into community and find somebody you're close enough with that, that you could share that with them. Of course, a, a man with a man and a lady with a lady. And fourthly, would you ask God for an opportunity to pray with someone that may be far from Him this week? Don't ever underestimate the ability of our God to use prayer. Prayer for people in silence as we intercede for them. And prayer is the Lord presents needs in our lives. Real people with real burdens. You see burdens on their face or whatever. Just ask, can I pray with you for a moment? And just pray with them. Pray the gospel. Share the news of hope that you have. Because your hope, believer, is rooted where? In the promises of God. In the character of God. Is He good? Amen. Is He worthy of our praise? It's worthy of our lives. All glory to God. So, I ask you then, beloved, God, man, Christ, response. Would you stand with me as we sing in response to the kindness of the Lord we've heard in His Word.